If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in a couple different places today uh, as we continue. It's actually part seven of a sermon series entitled God's Family Values. Uh, right before this sermon series, we looked at a series that looked at that we are family. We're a part of God's family. And if that's a reality for us, if you've been set free by the Son, uh, if you are a part of his family, he's got some values that he wants you to share uh, as he is our God. And so we've been making our way through these values as we look to God's word. Uh, this is actually week seven, if you could believe that. Again, a very strong, deep thank you to Charlie, uh, who took us through the last couple of weeks. We looked at the value of grace in a graceless society. We looked at the value of humility uh, in a society that doesn't brace that the last couple of weeks. Uh, and this week, we will look at family. Uh, God's family value of family. Uh, and I'm telling you, the greatest preparation you have to preach on the value of family is to have a family vacation with everybody uh, in a 500-square-foot cabin uh, with nine people, uh, with three dogs, with three grandchildren. Um, it was a joy, uh, to say the least, and I'm ready to talk about family. No, but... The good news is we added also three dogs to that mix, including a puppy, all right? And so it was crazy, um, but I, loved it. I have some pictures for you. Literally, Robbie Robinson, I showed some pictures this morning, uh, and Mike, of a family vacation. I dragged them upstairs, showed them pictures. Robbie's like, Jeff, you got to show these. Like, you got to show this to the congregation, like five, 10, 30 minutes worth. I'm like, Robbie, seriously? They'd never come back if I showed them my family vacation. So here's the good news. I have no pictures for you. I think, Charlie, you showed one last week, right? Uh, you photoshopped somebody else's family in, I heard, uh, which is fantastic. But anyway, uh, no pictures, no photos, but it was an incredible time. I did miss you, and it's always great to be back. So, so when you look at God's family values, any values, God tells us of his values, and the way God tells us is very interesting. God tells us who he is. He tells us who we are. God tells us of what he believes and what he values, and he tells it to us through his word, but he tells it to us in story. He tells us a story. What I love about the Bible, it's not a textbook. It's not something we turn to page one, it says, this is God, and page two says, this is man, and whatever. He tells us a true story, a story of who he is and what he has done for us, tells us of who we are, and, and it's in that story that we find our story. It's in his story that our story finds meaning. One of the things that Katie and I enjoy doing when we traveled, we traveled this year uh, up to that cottage in upstate New York. It's, if you Google it right now, it'll tell you it's about 19 hours. When you take three dogs with you, uh, it's about 20 some plus hours to drive. It'll take us two days to do that. And so in the midst of driving, I don't know about you, but we listen to podcasts or uh, our crime junkies or different things that we like to listen to or books and we listened to a book that my daughter Jessie recommended that she just loved uh, it's called the land of hope an invitation into the American story and it's written by a gentleman by the name of Wilfred McClay uh, and it's a story of America and actually it starts with Christopher Columbus we've navigated our way right through the turn of the 19th and 20th century uh, we've gotten through the Civil War, 
And I'm telling you, listening to it, it's been, it's been fantastic. I mean, it's really, it's been, it's, by, by the way, this guy is a professor, I think, in Oklahoma. Uh, I believe he's a believer, uh, the way he communicates the story. But I love the way it starts. It's like, we're going to talk about history. We're going to talk about American history. But I'm going to talk to you about history in story. Because he says this. He says, it's in the story that you find context. It's in the story that you find understanding. If all you have are facts, if all you have is information, and there's no context of story, it doesn't make sense. I thought, how beautiful it is. Because God wants us to understand his story. And he wants to tell us facts and values and who he is. But he wants us to find context in the midst of the story. He wants us to find ourselves in the story. He wants us to find ourselves in how, how he relates to us in the story and all he's done to provide for us in this incredible rich story called the Bible. How the events are connected, how they bring meaning to our lives. And just listening to that, it meant so much for me. This is the last thing I'll say about vacation. I was going back to my story. I mean, I was going back to the place that, that when I was four years old, my parents bought. I was going back to the place that I spent my summers there growing up. And now I'm bringing back my grandkids about the same age. Now I'm going back to the story, the people I grew up with. And there's so much meaning to me. Why? Because of the facts that the lake's 11 miles long and 200 feet deep and the beautiful things. No, because there's story and there's connection and there's meaning. And that's true for all of us as we are connected to God's story. So our lives find meaning because of God's story, because of God's story includes God's son, the ultimate, the climax of the story, Jesus, uh, that would rescue us sinners and bring us into his family. Um, and from the very first pages of God's story, we start seeing God's values. I mean, we see him so quickly. These, these God's family values emerge quickly. In chapter one, we've looked at this. It's God's family value of life. Why is life valuable? He tells us a story. God created all things, but guess what? He created you and me in his image. And we reflect who God is. So the, the, the worth of our lives is connected to him. It's, it's our worth is found in him. We saw the worth of gender, that God has made male and female in his image. To his reflection, the story of God is incomplete without a male and a female. It wasn't good that male in, his, uh, in paradise was alone. So God created male and female. That, that's a value to him. And, and again, I never thought I would preach a value that God values gender. But we live in a day and age where gender has been said is fluid. And there's such dysfunction with, a, with what gender really means. We've looked at marriage. That very early on, it's just chapter 2. God's still talking about creation as soon as he makes male and female, what's he do? As soon as he has two, he makes them one. And he has a marriage. And we see how important marriage is to God. And not only through the creation of male and female and children, but also to tell his love story. This story of God is a story, a love story told to us in the language of marriage. Jesus is uh, the bridegroom. The church is his bride. He calls sin adultery. Interesting to see that value uh, come out very early on. And then we see the value of family. Uh, the God's value of the nuclear family, specifically the church family. But again, let me just hit pause even before I tell you what we're going to look at. 
This is true for all of you. So wherever you sit, if you sit um, uh, here as a nuclear family, this is for you, obviously. If you sit here as a single person, this is for you because this is God's word, uh, that you are a part of God's family. If you sit here as someone who has uh, your family's different uh, because of a tragedy, because of a loss, because of a sin or a divorce, this is for everybody. So if you're here and you're thinking, ah, my family's grown or, or I'm in a different spot, I could tune out of this one, don't. Because this is a God's family value of family. And I think the whole, the, I know that the whole church has got to understand this. Because family's under attack. Uh, family is being redefined. Um, and we got to say, oh God, what do you say about the family? Why is this important to you? What do we, as those of you who are your followers, need to know? So there's going to be three things that we're going to look at when it comes to family. We're going to see that the family is God's primary, primary building block of society, that God gave us this family uh, to build a society for him or a kingdom for him. The family, secondly, is God's primary building block of the church. How God wants to build the church is through families, and we're going to see what that means for us. And then lastly, we're going to see God's loving care for those separated from the family, those who feel on the outside. I know there's, I'm sure, many of you maybe watching or here that feels outside of the family, and we're going to see God's special care for you. So we're going to turn to a very important passage of Scripture. We're going to start off in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, and we're going to read through the first nine verses of Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want you to hear this with the ears of family and God's family. There's so many verses I could have picked. I've picked many in the Psalms, the Proverbs, but we'll also go to Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus. We're going to go to Ephesians 6 and have four verses about the family uh, there as well, because all of God's word uh, is useful for us. He's want to communicate to us. By the way, um, how many of you uh, grew up saying the Lord's Prayer? Anybody get say it? How many of you grew up, uh, maybe uh, at bedtime, had your family, a family member, pray not just the Lord's Prayer? How about, now I lay me down to sleep? Uh, anybody know it? Can you guys go, now I lay me down to sleep? You know, I thought about that. That's pretty morbid song, you know, the prayer. You know, it means you have the kids, you know, they're terrified to go to bed in the dark, and you know, I want you to pray this, that, you know, if you're gone, you know, they, you know, the Lord's got you, and there is some comfort there. But, you know, what I just ask you is how many of you grew up with the tradition of the Lord's Prayer? How many of you grew up saying that prayer or saying a prayer over a meal? Well, what we're going to read in Deuteronomy 6 is called the Shema. It's a Hebrew word from the Greek word to hear, hear, O Israel, uh, hear, O Israel. And this is a prayer for thousands of years that the Jewish tradition would pray in the morning and the evening. So this is, this is their prayer that they would pray, uh, that we would might pray the Lord's Prayer. This is kind of before the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, or something they would recite before they go to bed, um, something they would recite in the morning. So let's get to it. Uh, it's, it's Hebrew, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, uh, 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord, Yahweh, your God, commanded me to teach you, Moses writes, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, 
that you may fear the Lord your God that's loving him, serving him, obeying him, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, that's the Shema, hear, O Israel, and be careful to do them. This is a hearing and doing uh, together, uh, that it may go well with you, and you may multiply greatly as the Lord, uh, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, specifically, the Shema here in verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This was a radical statement in a polytheistic society that there is one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, so all your being with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. He's saying, make sure you don't miss this. Let's turn to the back of the Bible, to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and to us, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. It's one of the Ten Commandments. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Father God, thank you for the joy of being a part of your family. Thank you for loving us eternally, loving us consistently, perfectly. And God, despite of our sinfulness, despite of our forgetfulness, despite of our waywardness, you are a God who loves and we thank you for that. You are a God who rescues. You are a God who mends. You are a God who brings near and close to your heart those you love. And God, we need to be reminded that you, are, you alone are Father. We need to be reminded that Jesus and Jesus alone is Savior. We need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone is Comforter. And so, God, would you come and would you speak through a broken sinner like me? God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds that would understand your word? Because we live in a time where our society is redefining what family is, redefining what marriage is, redefining what gender is, redefining the value of life. And, God, we want to look to you and to your word. So give us the minds to understand. God, give us the hearts that would embrace uh, this word, this truth. And God, give us the feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. Father, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, use those things to make us a healthier family, to build our families, 
and to make us a healthier church. We pray all this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. The first thing I want to show you is the family is God's primary building block of society. This is what he designed. He created it for his glory. He created families to do that, which he wanted us to do from the beginning. And as we read the beginning of the story, what does God want from us, his image bearers? Well, he wants to fill the whole earth with his glory. He wants us to fill the whole earth with his image. He wants everywhere we go, look or see or step to be there for him, for the glory of our great God and for the good of our, our neighbors. So how does he do it? Well, right from the beginning, you read the Bible, you realize he says immediately to Adam and Eve, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to multiply and I want you to fill. I want you to subdue, subdue the earth, bring the reign and rule of Christ and his kingdom to earth wherever you go. God's plan, plan for humankind has always been fruitful and multiply. Always has been fill this earth with my glory. And God's intended vehicle uh, for multiplication is marriage and family. And that's why I made them, male and female. You've got to have that biology, right, for you to have families. I mean, that is to be a multiplicating, multiplying factor uh, to fill the earth with uh, God's glory uh, for all of us. So why did he make families? Well, to complete that, that command, be fruitful and multiply. But there's more. If families are to be, God created families to be designed to reveal who he is, to reflect who he is, to his rule his kindness so he says when it comes to families that fathers and mothers are to be honored and obeyed we read it okay children you're supposed to honor honor your father honor your mother it was important enough to god it's in the top 10 of the 10 commandments uh, but what does this reveal about god god is a god who is a god of order a god of rule when he created the world uh, world he brought order out of chaos and that's what he wants the family. He wants families to be a place of order in a chaotic world. When you come in the door, you're going to find order. And because we're broken, you often don't, right? Because own sinfulness. But the design of family uh, was that there is a pecking order of parents and children. Uh, that children are to obey as unto the Lord. Uh, they are to see that these are gifts from God, a father and a mother, and God's design. Uh, and it's to bring order out of the chaos. Uh, that is to reflect God's order, his rule. And children are to be disciplined and instructed. Um, I love it. Uh, I love the fact that if you love your child, Scripture says you will discipline your child. We live in a time where we're told that disciplining a child might stunt their growth. It might be negative for them. Uh, a lot of arguments. Do you spank or not spank? Do you shake beans at them? I mean, what do you do to try to get your word across? But let me tell you what Scripture says. He says it's very important. God shows his love to us by disciplining us. That love and discipline go hand in hand. We are to show our love toward our children by setting boundaries and disciplining them. Uh, so listen, listen to what God's word says out of the book of Hebrews. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Did you hear that? If God loves you and he receives you and he thinks you're his son, he's going to discipline you. And that's going to be a sign of his love, is he's going to bring things into your life that shape you and mold you and break you to become more like Jesus. And at times it's not going to feel good. And at times you're going to say, stop it. 
And I don't like this discipline. I don't like this, what, chastising. I don't like this refining. But God knows what he's doing. He's always doing it for our good and for his glory, even though we cannot see it, and to make us more and more like his son. That's his goal of discipline. It's to bring life out. It's not to take life away. Oftentimes, we feel like it's taking life away. Hebrews 12, 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but latter it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Here's the point. Parents, God's called you to be what he does that our family should reflect who he is and how he acts, that he loves us enough to discipline us, and that we should love our children enough to discipline them. There's an interesting study um, that, that came out that wanted to show the positive effects of discipline or boundaries. And what they did is they, they looked at children on a playground who didn't have a fence. So children on a playground who didn't have a fence what they did is they never wandered far from the teacher. Uh, they never they never wanted to go and explore. They basically stayed very close and huddled together. But once a fence was erected, and once boundaries were clearly defined, and once they knew that there was safety within those boundaries, guess what they did? They explored the whole area. They they, were, they found freedom in boundaries. Isn't that amazingly interesting? And that's what God wants us to do: is find freedom in Christ in the midst of boundaries. God has given us a law to reveal who he is, to drive us to holiness. It's good. It's good. I want to I use that Charlie voice really loud. It's good! <laughs> you know? I mean, every once in a while, man, you let it I'm like, oh, man, that is good. It's, it's good! You know, it really is. God's law is good. Uh, it's a boundary for us in which to live, in which to thrive. Um, he knows what's best for us. Oftentimes, we feel like God is a joy, kill joy. Uh, he's trying to take away things that bring us pleasure or life. No, he's trying to give us more pleasure in life in him. And that includes discipline. So we should discipline our kids, making sure they know uh, that they are loved. And also, by the way, i got to throw this in. Disciplining our kids is so important to let them know that they are not the center of the universe. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I mean, our kids and our grandkids, we love them. But oftentimes we watch what's happening in the world and if, they, if their wishes are our demand, if they are the center of the universe, if whatever they need we got to immediately give, uh, they're not the center of the universe. They never will be the center of the universe. Jesus is the center of the universe and always will be on that rightful throne. And as parents, we got to be careful uh, that we don't put our kids in a position that God doesn't want them to be in the center of that. Okay, so... The first thing is, is it's going to be the primary building block of society. Multiply, show discipline, provide safety. The second thing is this. The family is God's primary building block of the church. It's, it's the prim primary block of growth. It's, watch this. 
The, the family should be the primary place for Christian education. It's not a Christian school. You may choose that. It may not be a Christian institution. Where is the primary place for Christian education? It's in the home, according to Scripture. Uh, I love what it says again, uh, Ephesians 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction. I gave you that so far. What's the instruction in? Instruction of the Lord. Christian education is not an option for Christians. Christian school is. But Christian education is not an option. And interesting, according to God's word, homeschool is not an option either. What do you mean? Well, let me look. Let's read again Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Shema. Listen, hear and do. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is what's called the great commandment. Remember when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment? He quoted this. And these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. But it wasn't enough. He says, listen, you got to love God with everything you got. This is something you cannot miss. And you got to have it on your heart. But he also do something more. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Homeschool education. And when you walk about the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, I mean, that is right in your home. You shall bind them as signs on your hand. They shall be as frontals uh, on, between your eyes. The prophylaxis, how do you pronounce that, Charlie? That the, uh, that the uh, uh, Pharisees used to uh, have on them would be this verse, so they would always see it. You shall have them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Parents should teach them diligently to your children. Parents, that's your privilege and your right. You shall tell them when you sit around the house. My favorite place in my home, most of you probably think it's in front of my TV, it's close. It's really my dining room table. It's my dining room table when it's filled with my children and where we can have a meal together and we can talk about life. And you can say, it's easy for you, Jeff. You went to seminary. It only took you eight years to get a three-year degree. Good for you. It's easy for you. You're a pastor. Of course you do. No, it's not just my home, it's your home. Your home should be a place that you talk about the Lord. When you sit down and when you rise up, you should talk about Christian values. You should talk about the things of this world. Now, here's what intimidates us all. I, I hear it. I've heard it in ministry for 30 years. I can't do that. What if they ask me a question I don't know? What, what, what if we get into a biblical discussion that I can't steer? I, I don't know enough to do this, so I'll avoid it. But let me tell you what you need to be. And this is, this is so, this is, this is it. This is it. Be a model of a redeemed sinner by God's grace. Be a model of a redeemed sinner by God's grace. What does that mean? Model a life of faith and repentance. Let your kids know the truth. You're a sinner that needs Jesus desperately. And you're going to mess up. And messing up doesn't mean that you have now thwarted their growth in the gospel. No, messing up gives you the greatest opportunity for gospel growth. Because it brings us the opportunity to go back to our kids and say, I blew it. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Letting your kids know that you need a huge Savior named Jesus because you are an amazing broken sinner is a good thing. You don't have to be the Bible answer man. 
You don't have to be some moral giant that you're not. Just be truthful. Live, live authentically. And, and again, sorry if this is a bit self-serving, but my kids usually get the same question over and over again. They're grown now. How is it like being a preacher's kid? And everybody thinks, oh, man, being a preacher's kid. And I love, by God's grace, the response. He's the same knucklehead in the pulpit he is at home. You know, there's not a dot of difference there. You know, so we're not seeing some hypocritical reality. My kids know. I've shown it over and over again. I need Jesus. I, uh, one of the things that we did, I'm sorry, I can't stop. Family stories. No pictures, though. We rented a pontoon boat. And the first day I brought it back was pretty windy and rough. I had that bimini. My kids like how many times I said the word bimini. That little, that little shade up. And I came into the dock. I had the whole thing by myself, 22-foot boat, coming into the dock. Uh, the, the, the wind was coming out of the north. The waves were almost white caps. And, I mean, I've driven a boat into a hoist my whole life. It's easy to do. I know how to do it. But to try to dock it on a boat, on a 22-foot thing, when I'm throwing out the line to get the front of the boat, and the back of the boat just keeps drifting all the way. And, and, and it was embarrassing. I kept missing. And then more people from the cove kept showing up on the dock. And then I got a, I got a friend who's show, filming me. Ha <laughs> ha, wave, Jeff! Oh, and I said, oh, you don't want to see what I'm going to wave back at you. And I mean, I'm, I'm just sitting there. I'm mean, humiliated. I mean, I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking, I, I am a grown man who is make, like making like six passes to try to dock the boat, you know? And I got, how many people were out there eventually? I probably had 10 people out there to try to help me dock the boat. And I mean, I, it was just so much pride. I was so embarrassed, you know? Just by God's grace, I didn't lose it. But I just revealed to me, I'm so prideful that this really bothers me, that I'm being a little bit humiliated that I couldn't drive the boat the way I thought I should. So what do I tell my kids? I was humiliated because I had my pride. And they know my pride. And they know that I struggle with a lot of different things. But be authentic. Be who you are in love with Jesus. And you can do that, right? As a, as a grandparent, as a parent, as an aunt, as an uncle, be who you are. But a Christian education is not optional, and a homeschool education is not optional either. But what Satan wants to tell you is you don't know enough and you're not good enough, and he wants to silence you for it. Don't do it. All right? May your home be the greatest church that your kids ever saw. May your home be the place where the gospel is real. And do it authentically. You don't have to be Joe, Bible answer everything, and I got it all together. Be a sinner who needs Jesus. Be quick to repent. Embrace faith. Amen? I mean, that's, that's, we can do that. Um, so be a model of a redeemed sinner saved by God's grace. Model that. Be a lover of God. Be a lover of his word. Be a lover of his church. Be a lover for his glory. Pray for your children. Oh, my goodness. Pray for your children. And pray for your grandchildren. Uh, grandparents, pray. Pray, pray for those kids that God has entrusted you. Um, I had a mother and my grandmother's prayers, and they prayed incredibly for me. Um, and, as a matter of fact, I remember two letters growing up that I got from my grandparents. I remember a letter, I'll never forget a letter I got from my grandfather. My grandfather stopped his education formally in England at about 13 or 14. 
but he knew that I was trying to get into West Point. I had my congressional nomination, and I was struggling with trigonometry. And my grandfather, probably close to his 80s, sent me a handwritten letter of the laws of trigonometry. I'm like, that's crazy. I mean, how, I don't know. It's before you Googled it. You know, this had to be legit, that he knew what he was talking about. I was like, wow. But my grandmother sent me a letter at the same time saying, I know you're striving to get to West Point. I know that you're hoping to be an athlete. But you know what, Jeffrey? I'm praying you'll be a pastor someday. I'm praying that you'll be a blessing to many. And I thought, Grandma, quit. I wanted to be like Conrad. I wanted to be wealthy, you know? I mean, I, I had other plans. But the prayers of the righteous availeth much. When we lost my mom, we lost a prayer warrior. Somebody who prayed for her kids and her grandkids every day. Why don't you be that one? You know, I see my friend Ed Doyle in the back. That knucklehead tells me every time he sees me, I pray for you every night. How bad does he think I am that he has to pray for me every night? You know? But, but I know his prayers aren't just for me. I know they're for his grandson, Connor, who's overcome leukemia, is going to head off to college with a baseball scholarship, and his granddaughter, and for his son, and for his daughter. You know, pray. That's something you have as a family. And, and it works. God loves it. Uh, so what can I do? What can you do when your grandkids are far away from you? What can you do when they aren't walking with the Lord? Pray. Um, pray. Uh, pray, 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 and pray. I'm so grateful for my grandma's prayers, my mom's prayers. And lastly, let me just say, we talked a lot about family, and there's so much more to say, and I could have unpacked so much more. Um, and I just saw the time, and holy cow, I got I to gotta wrap this up. Sorry about that. It's, it's Charlie's fault. I don't know how, but... Um, <laughs> But lastly is God's loving care for those separated from their family. Remember, we are part of God's family, the church. That includes all of you. But I want to remind you, God has a special love and concern for those apart from the family. Either apart by death, a widow or a widower, apart by sin, divorce, divorcee. But I, I love what scripture says. Let me end with just reading a few verses for you. Hear the heart of your Lord. Hear the heart of God. If you feel like you're outside the family, if you don't feel like, ah, oh, I don't have this nuclear family that Jeff preached about, I wish I did, my story's broken and convoluted. All of our stories are broken and convoluted. But listen to what God says. Deuteronomy 10, for the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. I love that God, by the way. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing Love the so sojourner, therefore, the one who's outside. And why? For you were a sojourner in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. I love the fact God says, I love the widow. I love the sojourner. I love the orphan. I love them. I have a special heart for them. James 1:27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's pure and unadulterated religion in God's heart is care for orphans and widows. Psalm 68, 5, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 146, 9, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he will bring to ruin. 
God has a special heart in this place for those of you who are lonely, for those of you who have experienced deep loss. Families can become an idol. I mentioned that earlier. Be careful that you don't put the family as your child at the center of your universe. Jesus said some harsh words. Your love for me should be like you, you, you hate your father and mother compared to loving me. King's Chapel needs to be a place that honors families, that supports biblical marriage and families to the best of our ability. And singles are an amazing, crucial part of our family, and they always will be. Amen? Pray. Father God, thank you for your beautiful design, that you designed families to be a place where we could thrive, where we could be disciplined, where we could grow and learn. You designed families for a place that there would be peace and harmony and Christ-likeness. But God, in our brokenness and our broken societies, our, our families are splintered. Our families are often a place that's not even safe. But God, I know that there are there those here in this room that have deep wounds because of a family member, deep scars. Oh, God, be with them and heal them. God, be merciful to them. I know that we live in a time where family values and the family is not valued in our society. May we be a church, a people that are bold and hold to these family values. God, may we be those who model well a redeemed life by God's grace, that we're sinners in desperate need of a great Savior named Jesus, who's loved us and sets us free. In Christ's name, amen.